This episode of Disease Du Jour is brought to you by equinevetedu.com, a free online educational platform for veterinarians, vet students, and vet techs, brought to you by Equimanagement. Visit equinevetedu.com for free race-approved CE and courses on topics of current interest. Welcome to Equimanagement's podcast, Disease Du Jour, where each podcast will delve into the research and current best practices for a variety of equine health problems with industry experts. I'm your host, Kimberly Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Today's guest is Dr. Kent Allen, owner of Virginia Equine Imaging in Middleburg, Virginia. Dr. Allen received his DVM from the University of Missouri in 1979, and he has been practicing equine medicine ever since. Dr. Allen opened Virginia Equine Imaging in 1996 after selling the practice he had formed in Arizona. Virginia Equine Imaging became the first privately owned and operated equine diagnostic imaging specialty clinic in the world. He had a vision to establish a practice that provides advanced diagnostic and sports medicine catered to the equine athlete in a way that had never been done before. During his transition from Arizona to Virginia, Dr. Allen served as the head veterinary services coordinator at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. Since moving to Virginia and establishing Virginia Equine Imaging, Dr. Allen has served as chairman of the USEF Veterinary Committee, the USEF Drug and Medication Committee, and the Medication Subcommittee for the FEI. He served as the FEI Foreign Veterinary Delegate for the 1999 Pan American Games in Winnipeg, Canada, the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney, and at the 2012 Olympic Games in London. Dr. Allen was also the 2010 World Equestrian Games Official Veterinary Coordinator. Dr. Allen is currently certified by the International Society of Equine Locomotor Pathology, or ICELP, and serves as its Vice President and Executive Director. He also serves as the volunteer chairman of the United States Equestrian Federation Veterinary Drug and Medications Committees and on the FEI Veterinary and List Committees. Dr. Allen continues to see patients and share his knowledge with veterinary interns and clients on a day-to-day basis, striving to share his knowledge with the equine industry both in his local community and around the world. Thank you, Dr. Allen, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about lameness diagnosis and eye cell. Thank you, Kim. Uh, I'm excited to do so. And uh, what shall we start with? Well, let's talk about lameness. One of the top reasons that practitioners are called out to see sport horses is lameness. So what is your triage system for lameness cases? Usually what I'll do when I first see a lameness case is the history, which is an oft-overlooked Uh, area of the examination, but very important, particularly if it's a bit of a complex lameness or complaint by the owner rider. So you want to make sure you understand their complaint and then what other veterinarians may have done previously, uh, which then helps you as you're formulating your plan for that lameness uh, to narrow down on the more pertinent areas. Then at that point, the next most important thing, and this was uh, taught to me by my father, who is a fairly famous equine veterinarian, and also Professor Jean-Marie Denois, president of ICELP, 
is that the next most important thing is the physical exam. And the physical exam is a, you know, many of us think a dying art form within the profession. And certainly in human medicine, you can appreciate that they, they have let the physical exam go and to some criticism within the physician arena. And so we think it's really important to bring that back. And, and so I talk to that uh, when I'm examining the horse. I talk to my interns, my imaging fellow, uh, the stu- vet students we may have visiting. And we make sure that everyone's understanding what we're trying to look at. Any soft tissue deformation, any heat, pain, or swelling, um, anything the client is kind of saying, well, I'm concerned about this. Well, make sure you look at it and you know, put your hands on it, feel it. Um, you know, we palpate the tendons, the ligaments carefully. We make sure we carefully palpate the back. And there's, like everything else in the world, there's a wrong way and a right way to do it. There's many ways to mess it up. There's only a few to get it right. So we focus on on doing it right and uh, making sure we're eliciting an, an appropriate response from the horse. Then at that point, we go ahead and start into the movement exam. And the horse is walked, paying attention to the footfalls, angulation, uh, that's a great time to examine how that uh, that horse's feet are impacting the ground because that's when the energy is transferred. They can, you know, paddle and and look odd, but that's in the air. No energy is transferred. Energy is transferred when that foot hits the ground. And that's the question, how is that foot impacting the ground? You see that best at the walk. We also walk the horse in a small figure eight. We're looking for neurological deficits. Is the horse able to bear weight in a small circle? Um, So you you get to see a lot of things from just a simple thing of walking the horse in a small figure eight. Then at that point, you're ready to trot the horse. And of course, trot, from a lameness veterinarian standpoint, the trot is the most important gait because that's where you're going to see a lameness, a gait deficit, hypermetric gait, something that's out of the ordinary. And we're going to see that first on the straightaway, and then we're going down and we're going to see that on a firm, non-slippery surface. And for that, we use a rolled stone dust surface. Uh, that we wet and roll every week so that horses can't slip on it, but it is quite firm. You can hear the footfalls. Um, Then if we have a question, we have a nearby round pin that is a softer sand surface, and we'll examine them in that. Um, Then we bring them back up to a straightaway area, and we do distal limb flexions. And there's a variety of ways of doing this, and veterinarians will flex them for 30 seconds or a minute. They all do it slightly different. The main thing is that you have your methodology. 
Our methodology is simply we do the, the lower front limb flexions for about 30 seconds. If we're going to do upper uh, front limb flexions, we'll do that for about 30 seconds. We're doing lower hind limb flexions, about 30 seconds. But upper hind limb will do for a minute. It takes longer to elicit a response. So then we'll, we'll then say that's our physical exam. And we sit there and with that history and that physical exam, now you're ready to formulate what you're going to do from a standpoint of further diagnostics, treatment, whichever direction you want to go. But that's the start of the process. So that's a, a very important call out to veterinarians really getting their hands on the horse and, and paying attention to the physical animal and what the, the owner trainer has to say. Okay, so what imaging modalities should most veterinarians have access to, either themselves or through a consulting vet or practice or school? Well, in the, you know, the first level that all veterinarians should be able to do is, that, again, the history of the physical exam that we've talked about. And then, you know, the next most used imaging modality is x-rays, radiology. And you should have, you know, the modern units are all direct digital radiology. And the beauty of that, of course, is that you shoot the radiograph and seven seconds later, it flashes up. You have the opportunity to look at it and you need to take that opportunity to look at it and say, yes, those, that is level. I've not obliqued it. It's straight. I'm seeing the features I need to see in the particular view I shot. Do a quick quality control assessment of that radiograph because then it's going to move on to the next one and then you'll have really lost your opportunity to assess that critically because very few of us have the time to then go back critically and, and do a quality control later on those radiographs, figure out what you should have reshot because the horse has gone off to its stall or get ready for a whatever it's going to do. So take that moment, look at it, say that's a good radiograph, that's a bad radiograph. Beauty of modern systems is you push a button and you get a redo. Where those of us who were raised in the film screen systems had to go back, develop the film at the clinic and look at it and figure that out if we had to go back. So take the advantage of the modern system so that you can redo it if you need to. Every veterinarian should be proficient at taking basic radiographs and distal limb and then some a little higher up that a portable can do. Once you get a certain body thickness portion of the horse, you're going to have real difficulties doing it with a portable x-ray unit. And at that point, you need to realize on a, on a large, heavily muscled horse, you're not going to be able to do the deeper joints of the back. You can only see the dorsal spines with a portable, and even that's a challenge. And then the base of the neck 
is where you're going to run out of radiographic juice, so to speak, on um, and be able to penetrate that body part is just very difficult to do. Um, stifles, most horses, you can do stifles with a portable in the field. Um, but when you get to these deeper body parts, you may need to appreciate the fact that that horse needs to go into a clinic and, and be radiographed by a larger x-ray generator that can penetrate these deeper body parts and get you a reasonable radiograph. Um, or remember as you're radiographing the horse that hope is not a strategy. Uh, make sure you, you can penetrate that body part and don't accept a poorly exposed exposure and just say, oh, well, I think that'll be okay. Well, it's, it's a poor radiograph. It's not okay. Um, and, and get one that's appropriate. So that's a basic. Practitioners should be able to do that. Um, then the next thing is ultrasound. We all should have a, a good quality ultrasound, one that can get up to at least 10 or 12 megahertz to do tendon work. You'd like to have a, um, that's a linear probe to do the tendon work with. There are higher resolution ones uh, that are usually in clinic systems and they can go up to 18 megahertz and see very fine definition. Um, and then you should hopefully have a macro or micro convex probe so you can do deeper structures, necks, back, uh, sacroiliac, guided injections, that sort of thing. And um, be able to, that same probe can look at a chest or a belly if you so desire. Um, and so a good basic linear probe that will go down to at least 8 megahertz and go up to 10 or 12 megahertz is kind of the minimum you would want. And then I would say a macro convex probe that can um, go as high as 5 or 6 megahertz and then you can go down lower to 4 or 3 if you have a very fat horse or a heavily muscled horse that you're trying to do a sacroiliac injection on. That's kind of the deepest structure. One of the things I tell veterinarians on a, on a separate subject when I talk about uh, back pain is that if you have a portable and you can do the dorsal spinous processes with it and then you have an ultrasound machine and then the additional training, which is really important, to then go and look at the deeper joints, those dorsal articular um, processes that have that, that's where that osteoarthritis will occur in a horse that's aging and an athlete and will cause back pain. Now, while the ideal situation is to take that into a clinic and look at that with a large MAX rated generator, the next most optimum situation is to ultrasound that and to recognize that arthritic 
involvement in those joints and then you can also determine. Now that takes a little special training and that's where, as you and I talked about very briefly, ICELP um, and other organizations, AEP 360, do a wonderful job of teaching practitioners those additional skills they'll need that oftentimes aren't taught in veterinary schools. You don't, you don't graduate with that skill set. You graduate with some other excellent skill sets, but they just don't have time to teach you everything. And so most practitioners go to um, continuing education programs, like I say, the AEP programs, uh, ICELT programs, and those are very high quality programs that will help you get the skills to go on and delve into these kind of deeper structures and deeper subjects. Um, so I think the real basics are um, quality digital radiography and then a quality digital ultrasound. You can send images with both those and get opinions from radiologists or imaging specialists around the world and move your pre-purchase films around the world to get additional opinions on. And those would be the basics and then particularly the ultrasound will sometimes require some additional training and we often say of ultrasound technology it's operator dependent. And operator-dependent is a very nice way of saying that those people who have gone on and delved into that postgraduate education area and taught themselves, um, either through an educational process or the School of Hard Knocks, how to do that better are going to be the more successful at that and the ones who just don't have the skill set are going to struggle with it, make a few wrong diagnoses, and that's the school of hard knocks method. I don't recommend it, having been there and done that over the years. Uh, and that's, I think, where some of my experience with ICELP was so eye-opening to me is that I realized there was a whole other world out there that um, you could learn how to really do a high quality job and, you know, set yourself apart maybe in your community um, and have the clients and other veterinarians recognize you for that. So uh, that's something worth pursuing. So I'm just, I just want to reiterate that if you're recommending one or two modalities that vets should get better at using to be better practitioners when they're diagnosing lameness, you're saying just the basics of the radiography and ultrasound and that there's plenty of educational opportunities out there for them to get better. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, nowadays you can't turn around without seeing an article about MRI and, and um, you know, nuclear bone scan is certainly wonderful technology and you know CT is is available now and maybe the standing units will be on the horizon soon um, but those are all great but the reality is is that the vast majority of lamenesses 
are going to be diagnosed by a practitioner who is going to take the time to get a good history, listen to it, examine the horse in detail, and then formulate a plan via diagnostic nerve blocks, um, ultrasound, radiology, and that is going to be the lion's share of the resolution in lameness in the sport horse. Now, once you put those aside, which are, you know, it's always the 80-20 rule, of course, that's 80% of the horses. Then you've got another 20%, you just can't resolve that way. And they are going to need the bone scan, the MRI, the CT, uh, the detailed specialists, specialty nerve blocks, separating out regional nerve blocks from inarticular nerve blocks, um, all of that. But remember, 80% of the horses are going to be diagnosed with a practitioner who has developed the skill to do the basic things right. And then the other 20% of the ones that are going to have to go into the specialty. So if you see a lame horse and it blocks to the heel, it doesn't mean it's automatically got to go to an MRI. Um, there's a lot you can do with your ultrasound unit with additional blocks, some targeted therapy, um, and then you determine whether that horse needs to go to an MRI and your clients will appreciate that because you know th these other modalities we're talking about uh, nuclear medicine, CT, um, MR are all expensive modalities for the horse owner. And so you should be careful about when it's appropriate for them to go there because they count on you to know the answers to that. So the same way that do you really need 65 radiographs to diagnose for a pre-purchase? Well, probably not, you know. Uh, what you probably need is a detailed exam and a fewer number of radiographs that would suffice and then maybe a few specialty looks here and there. But uh, I mean, it's amazing to me that I'll see a set of films come in from pre-purchase and it'll have 60, 70 radiographs and yet no one took the time to actually read what they had. There are things in there that were never diagnosed and you know why take a lot of radiographs if you're not going to take care at reading the radiographs and and if you don't feel comfortable you know there are lots of great radiology services now or, or imaging specialist groups that will all read these things for you and with you and and your client and there's help available so make sure that one you improve your skill set, and then two, you take advantage of our other colleagues who have developed specialized skills and get them in the mix when you need them. You're not going to need them every day, but when you need them, you need them. When we talk about improving the skill set for veterinarians, and I want to get into ISELP just a little bit, and 
I can say I've attended several ISELP. It, it's, it's very fascinating to watch the veterinarians watch the program because the typical response is, wow. Um, and I learned things I never thought of before. And just to take advantage of the experience of some of the, the experts that have been doing this for decades. But tell us why ISELP was founded and what kind of education the group offers globally. Well, and, and ISELP was founded back in 2006 uh, by uh, Professor Jean-Marie Denois um, and myself. Uh, and, you know, there are numerous, there were numerous people then, there are numerous people now uh, with a variety of continuing education for the practicing veterinarian. And there are obviously residency programs that offer um, you know, clinical board certifications. There's a lot of educational expertise out there. And what we were talking about is we said, you know, there needs to be somewhere that a practitioner, not someone going through a board certification process, but a practitioner can go and cover the horse in its entirety, do anatomic-based imaging because all that anatomy we all learned back in vet school and and studied so hard to pass that test and get through national boards uh, well as it turns out it has significance in imaging you know who knew uh, I wish my anatomy professor had mentioned that to me at the time um, but I like many other practitioners had to relearn it from an imaging lameness standpoint. And yet anatomy, of course, is the basis of everything. So as we as practitioners were searching for a way to do that, Professor Denois and I started talking about a way we could do that. And so what he came up with is a way to break the horse into eight anatomic regional segments and then we designed a three-day course on each of those segments so you could study the anatomy, um, the nerve vessel physiology anatomy, where these things are going within the body as we look at these parts every day and then what we can see with ultrasound, what we can see with MR, what we can see with CT, has a variety of imaging modalities within the educational platform here. We spend about, uh, about two and three quarter full days of going through this with anatomy and case-based um, examples so the practitioners can appreciate them and then we do a demo uh, ultrasound demo of those areas that were focused on on that module and then we also have a segment where we talk about treatments and what treatments would be effective in that area of the body and what's not so effective and we try ISELP has really tried to keep it scientific, evidence-based medicine, 
and you know to talk about what papers are out there and not just do gosh I injected this and I thought the horse got better you know anecdotal stories are great you know we all we all tell them to each other at conventions and talk about them in the bars and how this worked and you know don't get me wrong I've gleaned some tremendous um, pearls from other practitioners that I took back to my practice and used but we wanted a real structured basis so someone could go really dive deeply into that segment of the body then go to the end part of that uh, module is an ultrasound wet lab where you really spend some time with qualified instructors, self instructors that are really trying to teach you objectives of that part of the body and how to image them and will take the time to do that with you. Um, so that the practitioner can go back home and let's say they did the neck and back and then they can go back home and say, well, you know, I feel very confident now that when I put the ultrasound probe on there, I'm going to be able to identify where the articulation of the dorsal articular facet is that I want to do an ultrasound guided injection into. And we've talked about in the lecture what, what is in the science and what we can inject into that area and what we can expect. And so they should feel comfortable when they finish that geographic module that they have really covered the gamut and that they can go home and be a better practitioner. And then it's broken up into the eight segments and if a practitioner chooses to, they can do all the eight segments and then they can sit for the ISELP exam. And the ISELP exam is an exam that has, you would turn in 10 video based case workups of what you did, the video proof of, yes, it improved on that block, what your workup was, what the history was, your delve into that exam, the outcome of the exam, and a literature-based review of why that went the way it did and you do 10 of those, you submit those, when you sit for the test, you're asked to defend two of those. Very similarly, we ask the practitioner to take 10 peer-reviewed journal articles, read them critically, and then come back and state where the positives of that paper are, where the negatives are where they didn't answer the question, or perhaps they thought they answered the question, but they didn't really. And what other research could be done from this paper, and what other papers there are out there to support this approach to it. And I can tell you, when I took the exam, that what you find is that when you actually delve into critically reading journal articles, you come away and you never read a journal article the same again. 
and now I'm much more critical on the articles. And when I publish an article, I'm much more critical on myself now. Um, and it's very educational. So you do that, you defend two of those, then you take a test on a variety of topics within sports medicine, and musculoskeletal imaging. Um, you look at videotape, you determine the limb that the horse is lame in. Um, you look at imagery and you're asked to provide the diagnosis and then you do an ultrasound wet lab. So it's a very rigorous test um, and about 50% pass the first time, but if you can, it's one of those things that if you pass, say, uh, five of the six segments, you only have to come back and retest on that sixth, not the whole thing again. Um, and it, I can tell you that uh, personally, it made me a much better practitioner than I was prior to that, and that I've had that same comment from various other practitioners that it has changed their viewpoint and scope of veterinary medicine. Um, so that's out there, but again, uh, the modules themselves, and one thing we do uniquely in ISELP is uh, that we also we videotape uh, Professor Denois and the other speakers, and we also the demo, um, and there's often a dissection where we're reviewing the anatomy, um, and all that is videotaped in very high quality video and audio, and then you get that. And so that's very useful because there's times when, you know, I'll have the interns go, I go, we're we're going to go inject two sacroiliacs, and they go, oh gosh, we've never done that before, their new interns say. And I say, well, here, here's the sacroiliac um, disc, go look at it, and then just look at the demo. You know, the whole thing is 19 hours long, but just go look at that hour of the demo that concerns the sacroiliac injection, and then you can participate in that with me. And wow, you can take very rookie practitioners who are terrified of it, they can go back and review that and they feel very confident of the anatomy that they're gonna delve into. Well, that's a great overview, Dr. Allen, of, of what's available with ISELP and the fact that you know a practitioner can pick and choose the part of the anatomy that he or she really wants to go learn more about, or they can do the whole course. Definitely, and it gives you the option if you feel like the area that you're, you're, you've covered the areas well, you're comfortable with them, but you really want to delve a little deeper into the foot or the hind limb proximal suspensory or, you know, just really get better at sacroiliac injections or learn more about the back and the neck, that's your conundrum. You know, this gives you the opportunity to zero in on it. And as my dad used to say, he said, you know, you can go to a lot of meetings and you can learn a nice overview and, and many of them just touch the surface. He was always a big believer in 
let's take an area or a topic and let's delve deeply into it so that when you walk away from it, you're a better veterinarian. And that's what ISELP has really tried to provide. And we're always happy for feedback or anything we can do better, uh, but it's an organization, it's a nonprofit organization that serves the veterinary community and is targeted at the veterinary practitioner. Right, and uh, anyone can go to iselp.org. Uh, there are educational uh, courses around the world, so you can pick and choose what you want to see and where you want to go see it. So thank you, Dr. Allen, for joining us today on Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour. And thank you for listening to our podcast. You can hear previous and future podcasts of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We hope you will join us again in the future for another episode of Disease Du Jour.